thing that I've learned to accept and I tell any of my clients or seminar attendees that the nerves don't go away with public speaking. Don't expect that to happen. Mick Jagger still gets nervous before he goes on stage. Al Pacino is still nervous before he shoots a scene or goes on stage. The key is that you can actually use those nerves to your advantage. Recognize it's just energy moving inside you. And nervousness and excitement are just two sides of the same coin. Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. Anybody who's ever created something knows that it comes with stress. When you put something out there, you worry about it, you want it to succeed. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does. And anytime we separate the reality from what we want reality to be, it creates stress. Today I interviewed John Block. John created his own public speaking and coaching company and ended up selling it to and joining a company called Effective Presentations. I actually reached out to John because I have been listening to my own podcast and I realize I say um a lot and I have a lot of filler words and I don't really put a lot of enthusiasm into my voice sometimes and I want to figure out how to get better. And so I talked to him and I asked him how do I, how do we, what his thoughts are on the stress of public speaking is and how we can kind of work with this in an intelligent and discriminating way. Uh, I learned a lot in this episode and a lot that can actually serve me in my own quest to get better at public speaking. For example, I'm using it right now. I'm aware of when I'm saying um and ah, trying not to. And I'm also trying to put a little bit more enthusiasm into my voice. And one other thing he said was that you end with a deflection. So you end it with a clear ending to what we're talking about. Those are just a few kind of uh, things I've learned. Hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, hope you have a great day. I'd like to welcome to the show, Crazy Wisdom. Can you introduce yourself? Yes. My name is John Block. I work with a company called Effective Presentations. We provide public speaking training to business owners, corporate, uh, anyone who's committed to empowering their communication skills, be more effective in their businesses. So I've been That's doing this work for the last seven years and I absolutely love it because of who people get to become, where it brings out the very best of themselves and they become more confident, better connected with other human beings, <laughs> where they enjoy life a lot more and their full expression gets to get realized. Mm. And you're working with one of the most things that most people find stressful, uh, which is public speaking. Was there a point in your life where you encountered a lot of stress in public speaking or has it always been easy for you? I, was <laughs> I laughed because the, the could not be more way off base to say it's always been easy for me. I know that people can look at someone like me who's now at this point very comfortable doing it and think that I'm a natural, but that couldn't be further from the truth. I remember as a kid having to give oral presentations in class and just clawing like in my chair, just hoping that by some miracle there would be some fire alarm and that I wouldn't have to go up there and present and then doing it and then getting bad marks on it and being told I was stiff and not engaging and people were bored throughout. Uh, that was my foundation around public speaking. I guess what the turning point was is when I realized that there I was in my early 30s. I 
had a coaching business, business in quotes, meaning I was trying to get a business up and running. And I tried various things like uh, marketing online through Facebook. I tried going to networking events with a stack of business cards and passing them out to anyone and everyone. And after those efforts hadn't succeeded, I recognized that public speaking would be the way to go. I had to really share what I could do for people as their coach and to do it in a way that was valuable for them to hear me as a speaker that was interesting and fun and hit all the beats that I hoped to hit with them when I was their coach. So that's where I really had the stress up to a whole other level because now my business was riding on this, on my figuring out the public speaking. So it was the double whammy of the fear of speaking as well as the anxiety and fear that comes with making sales all this livelihood attachments that came with it. I was borrowing money from my parents just to pay off the studio apartment that I was living in. So yeah, there was incredible stress around that. And what is what does that stress feel like in your body or kind of uh, on a daily basis? What does that stress like feel like for you? It's a lot of head pressure. I feel this density in between uh, my temples. So to try to release some of that, I'll do some tapping on my temples, or rub my temples, or just uh, move, get in my body somehow. But I would say before any of that happens, there's this intense pressure uh, I feel between my temples in my head. I would say that there's this significant tension in my solar plexus area tightening uh, it becomes 10 degrees hotter as well or more <laughs> mm -hmm. and i get really snappy and irritable with people uh, it's very much you're either for me or against me like in a combat situation you're either uh, on my side or you're the enemy uh, and usually if someone is not on the same page with me in that situation, which it's very likely they're not on the same page as me when I'm that stressed, then they're going to come off like my enemy. And that's where I get really snappy and irritable and generally have to apologize for it later. Uh, and that what you just explained sounds very much like the explanation of the flight or flight um, mechanism, the fight or flight response, the sympathetic nervous system response, which is uh, what actually happens. I, I, I learned this in yoga that essentially most people think of the flight or flight response or the rest and digest response as an either or situation, a binary situation, but it actually is at all times we're either we're in a balance between flight or flight or rest or digest. So, and when we're speaking, when we're communicating with other people that requires a sympathetic nervous system response. So it means that we're actually in more and more of an engaged sympathetic nervous system response when we're having a conversation like we're having right now, or even more so when we're in that, kind of public speaking where we're the only one speaking. Um, how, what are your techniques to kind of either work with that? Um, Cause it's probably not the best to avoid it, right? Um, so how do you work with this kind of fight or flight uh, response in a way that's effective and productive? One thing that I've learned to accept and I tell any of my clients or seminar attendees that the nerves don't go away with public speaking. 
don't expect that to happen. Mick Jagger still gets nervous before he goes on stage. Al Pacino is still nervous before he shoots a scene or goes on stage. The key is that you can actually use those nerves to your advantage, recognize it's just energy moving inside you and nervousness and excitement are just two sides of the same coin. Mm. What we wanna do is get into our bodies and this is why I advocate jumping up and down, mm. uh, stretching, focusing on your breath, all that will help you get into your bodies more. I also believe which is logical that <laughs> I believe in the power of the spoken word. So with the power of affirmations and declaring as cheesy as it might sound to some people, you can say, I am powerful. I am excited to be presenting. I can't wait to meet these people. Short one sentence type declarations that have power behind them, just like slogans. You want to make them concise and that's how you can get on board for them. Even it's just you getting on board for it by yourself before you get on stage or do any kind of presentation, having that powerful affirmations will shift the mental context for what's about to happen. It'll take it away from, I'm gonna screw up. I hope I don't botch up all these sales. I hope people like me, all that lower vibration stuff. And you just create consciously this state of higher vibration. So between that and getting in your body will definitely move the needle for people. Mm. And you mentioned uh, kind of jumping up in the uh, jumping up or doing other things. Is this something you do right before giving a speech? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Because as the presenter, you need to have the highest energy in the room. If you go to a typical room, depending on what time of day, but let's just say the energy level is somewhere like a five or a six in the room. And if you show up at and level seven energy wise, which can happen if you're hanging out with them beforehand and maybe it's a conference room type scenario where you're all on pure level and then you go up and you're at a six or seven energy wise, those people are not gonna shift their energy at all. They'll still be at a five or six and a five or six is not enough to get people to take action afterwards. It'll be enough to get them to nod and maybe ask a question here and there, take a few notes, but the point of any presentation is to get people to think differently or act differently by the end of it. Otherwise there's truly no point to having made the presentation mm. in my opinion. Mm. So for us to get people to think differently and act differently, we should really be at a energy level of nine or 10. Oh. And if we're at a level energy of nine or 10, then we can bring people up from a five to a seven or a six to an eight, or maybe in some cases to bring them up to a nine or a 10. And if you get them to, I would say, at level eight or higher, that's enough to get them to at least think differently or start to act differently. And what is the relationship to relaxation? So I'll give you an example of my own life. I used to think that it was better before giving public speeches to relax myself, do breathing exercises to bring me down to a relaxed state in which I can then kind of um, uh, be connected to what I want to say and everything like that. But I've recently come to the realization, particularly after interviewing Keith Raboy and talking about the upside of stress is that you and what you just said about actually kind of like bringing in on that I'm excited to give the speech. What is that relationship between relaxation and excitement? It depends on the type of presentation. When 
you say being relaxed before a presentation, there's part of me that immediately is concerned that's going to be boring to yeah. see someone who's too relaxed. I'm not a fan of the whole, oh, I'm just being so authentic and laissez-faire about my whole presentation and people justifying it because they're being real. Oh, this is how I would talk to my buddies. So I'm going to talk to you the same way. There is, is an element of that that's really useful, but when it comes at the expense of being high energy and engaging, and some people have this adverse reaction to when I say high energy too, and think, oh, that's that rah-rah seminar crap. I want nothing to do with that. That's not what I'm saying either. Mm -hmm. Just think about when you have someone in your life that is a source of enthusiasm and they're passionate about what they're speaking on. It becomes exciting no matter the context. And when they're holding a larger space of, say, 20 people or more, their passion enthusiasm has to be greater than it would be in a one-on-one -on -one to be able to match that for the size of the room that they're presenting to. Yeah. When it comes to being relaxed, to me, it has more to do with a mindset shift where I am excited. Some of the things we said earlier, it's a privilege to get to present to these people I'm honored to be able to do this. And for me, presenting is always an honor because people are giving you their most precious resource, their time. I would say too that uh, having nothing to prove, that will also help significantly the relaxation issue. If you feel like I am perfect the way I am and I just need to show up perfectly as I am with all my imperfections <laughs> and be comfortable in that, that's what people will gravitate towards. And you can obviously do that while being high energy and exciting to be around. Hmm. So what are, what are the things that you find that most people, what are the most common blocks that most people have uh, when it comes to public speaking and doing the things that you're talking about right now? A lot of it is the mindset. It's their fear of how they're coming off, fear of being judged. I think that's one reason why public speaking is considered the number one fear on the planet mm. is everyone has on some level a mortifying fear of being judged by others. And with public speaking, you're pretty much naked up there saying, Hey guys, what do you think? You like what you see? <laughs> so it cranks up the volume considerably. And obviously the more pairs of eyeballs and sets of judgment that you have in the audience, the scarier it becomes. So oh. for people presenting to a room of 100 people will be 10 times scarier than presenting to a room of 10 people, generally speaking. I would say that that shift of mindset will be a big part of it and decide how does the audience see you. That's something that we have our clients go through when they take our seminars is early on Friday morning, we have them declare how does the audience see me? Most of them is their first time ever thinking about this. How does the audience see me? And the reaction, the reason we do this exercise is because the reaction is usually, well, I hope they like me. I don't know how they see me. I'm not in control of this. That's very much the ordinary type response. A more extraordinary response would be to say, I get to say how people see me. I'm at cause of my life, not at effect. And when I'm on stage, I decide to cause this experience of them seeing me as wise, as caring, as insightful, as fun, as an exciting person they want to have an ongoing relationship with, mm -hmm. 
you declare that's the context for people to experience you. That is their experience of you. When you do that, then the nerves will go down considerably and you'll feel excited like you're about to go on this epic vacation every time you present. Mm. So it seems like this, the, an element of agency is really important and kind of owning your experience and owning how you show up is really important uh, uh, mindset, basically. Yeah, it's true of stage and it's true of life. This is one reason why I do this work is that when someone becomes a world-class speaker, they become a world-class human being. Hmm. That's just what happens. And part of it is, as you said, taking agency over hmm. this. They're at cause, not at effect. Uh, for how they experience life and how others experience them. Huh. Uh, so there's two ways I could go with this right now. Uh, one more of kind of a philosophical route about meditation, another thing, or maybe more practical. Uh, and th I think this is where I want to go is uh, feedback. Most people have a real difficulty experiencing negative feedback, um, but it seems like that's one of the most important things to getting better as a public speaker is the ability to hear the negative feedback, not take it personally, and then change um, uh, change your behavior in order to make a more effective presentation. Mm -hmm. How do people, uh, how, what is your method or technique or framework to kind of help people accept negative feedback in a way that's effective? That's a really great question, Stuart. I'll speak in general about receiving feedback and I'll share specifically how we do it, which I believe is among the best ways to do it. Mm. Generally, and when I mean generally, I mean in every relationship you have, whether it's with your parents, with your spouse, uh, whether you're on the receiving end of the feedback, whether you're on the giving end of the feedback, the way that you earn the right to give feedback. To me, feedback is not something that you're just automatically granted to be able to do to everyone. You just can't uh, throw your opinions out like they're pennies on the street, just throwing them out like on a whim. You yeah. can't do that. That's irresponsible and you're a jerk if you do that, in my opinion. Uh, you earn the right to give feedback by first seeing the greatness in another person. You have to first see what is wonderful about you. The cynical view of this is to call it a sandwich where, hey, I really like your performance, but there's some things that could be better about it. I still really love your performance though. And that's really a, a hackneyed version of what we're talking about here. At its core, you have to see the greatness in others. I really love how you, uh, uh, are so real and believable. And there's something really inherently likable about you. You're really easy to be with. Whatever the scenario is, you have to see what's great about the other person. If you are unable, like your mind is just so consumed with the quote negativity and flaws of this other person that you can't see their greatness, then go away until you can. If you're still unable to see their greatness, then you have no right to provide feedback. I think this is important to note on the giving end, certainly, where you have more control over whether you decide to give feedback or not, but it also applies on the receiving end. If someone is giving you feedback and they just launch into the negativity, they have no right. And it's your job to point out that they have no right to be giving you feedback. You can find your own words around this, but how I would say it is I really want to be able to get the value of what you're saying. And I'm having a real challenge right now listening to you and getting the wisdom of what you're saying because it just feels like you're criticizing me. 
So what would really help me in this instance, if you're willing, is to say what you think I did well or what you appreciate about me. That way, I just don't think you're a negative Nancy the whole entire time. And then I'm inclined to chuck everything that you're going to say afterwards. Mm. Right? I might say that differently, but that's mm. the core of it. Mm. So that's some general beliefs about it. Uh, we specifically tie this in with our speakers when they're receiving feedback in that we have at least three people acknowledge something they loved about them because our belief is that you have to know your strengths and triple down on them. This is true of speaking. It's true of life. Know what you do well. Don't uh, put so much emphasis on the self-criticism and justify it saying, well, this is how I get better. Mm. That self-criticism is already pretty well developed in my experience. Mm. It doesn't need to be amped up more by people saying, well, I don't want to kiss your butt. I got to tell you how to improve. <laughs> now the need to improve the people I know anyway complacency is not an issue they'll know to kick their own butt on something the problem is you get them to kick their own butt less and mm -hmm. instead focus more on what they're doing well and to amplify those strengths because people respond to positivity if someone relates themselves on a positive vibration wavelength sees themselves as a leader as a wise caring individual that can really hold space and transform others lives then the audience will see them as well. They see them as a stammering idiot that doesn't have any right to be presenting. The audience will see them that way. So we need people to really recognize their strengths and amplify that over time. And then when we ask, what would you like to see more of? That's the question. Or I like to feel you more with this. It's done that way where it's very much, hey, this is my experience. I'm only saying this is for me. I'm not saying this is dogma or truth. So don't interpret that that way. Mm -hmm. And that's the context around it. And I will say something like, we don't ask that you buy it. All we ask is that you try it on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit before we started recording about meditation and the importance of uh, meditation in your life and for stress. Uh, how do you meditate? What is your form of meditation or if it, if it comes in a form? Yeah, it does. I'm intentional about it. And I've been meditating for about seven years now, around the time I got into personal growth and decided I want to be a coach. I recognized that my mind was going to be a problem. It had been a problem. And I just assumed that's the way life is. You just got to deal with it. And even I could stand outside and say, well, my mind is wired a certain way. I just got to deal with it until I decided to deal with it in a more empowering way and really took on a lifelong commitment of whatever it takes to have an empowering relationship with my mind where it's not taking me out, causing friction or judgment between me and others. A lot of which was directed at myself, actually that judgment mm. is where a lot of that started. So I took on the practice of meditating. I'll just tell you what I do now. Mm. I do about, uh, 40 minutes a day. So 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. And what I'll do for half of those 10 minutes, it's half of those 20 minutes, I'll do heavy breath work for 10 minutes. So mm -hmm. what it sounds like is, and I'm doing that for 10 minutes straight. And mm -hmm. the intention is emotional release to start mm -hmm. the day off without carrying any anger, resentment, sadness, depression, frustration, whatever it tends to be in my space mm -hmm. that I'm essentially emptying it out before the day starts. 
then I'll do a more traditional 10 minute seated meditation where it's the in through the nose, out through the nose breath work. And I'd like to have some uh, musical accompaniment. I think YouTube is wonderful. I have a YouTube red subscription where I can listen to these eight hours of uh, these high vibrational uh, instrumental music. Mm. And I'll listen to a snippet of that. And I notice a huge difference if I don't uh, start my day with that. I can get away with it for one day, but mm. two days in a row, oh, I'm not at my best on that second mm. day. Mm. And then the evening is more like the seated meditation. It's a wind down uh, period for me, so I won't do the heavy breath work at that point. If something really bother me, uh, then I will. But generally, it's just more of a wind down period. Lighting is important as well. So in the mm. evening, uh, I don't live in a place where I have dimmers and I'm not allowed to put dimmers in. <laughs> it's not ideal for me. So in the future, uh, my next house will have dimmers. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> and I really recommend that for the last, uh, say, hour before bedtime to really start dimming, or even two hours before, and then have that setting as you're meditating as well. And so what is the effect of your meditation practice on your ability to do creative uh, public speaking? Well, the alignment with my purpose is probably the biggest thing. Without the meditation, I'm more susceptible to distraction, procrastination. I'll get some thought of, oh, I wonder what so-and-so is up to. I'll go look them up on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. They went to Egypt recently. Oh, I've always been curious about Egypt. And I'll look at their photos. And of course, they got 50 of them. So I'm going through all of them. Or what about that one girl from high school? What is she up to? And then I'll look her up on Facebook. That's when I don't meditate. I'm a lot more prone to that. When I do meditate, I'll have that thought of, oh, what is that girl up to from high school? Oh, I'm actually not going to look because that doesn't align with my purpose whatsoever <laughs> to spend the next five minutes on that. Mm -hmm. And I've become a lot more discerning with how I use my time. So I just gave a small example of five minutes on Facebook, but it could be, do I want to go to that three-day seminar in Dominican Republic? Mm -hmm. I get invited to these things that are high-end exclusive type events, and I can check in, well, does this align with my purpose to make that kind of commitments to go? Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But if I didn't do the meditation practice, I might say, yeah, Dominican Republic. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah. Then, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's the, there's this interesting thing that happens in life, uh, at least for me, is that there's all, the, there's all this hype and there's so much marketing that goes on in our world that, you know, I'll give an example. When I was 18 or 19 and I saw movies about uh, kids partying, college-age kids partying, mm -hmm. I was like, man that's life that's what life is all about at that time you know and it's like oh, you got a party you got a drink and everything like that and then of course i did it and then it was like oh this is you know it took me a while i, I did it for a while, quite a while actually but uh it, you know it's it's worthless it has no kind of sustaining value to it and there's all these things in our lives and it just becomes such a challenge to live a life that's meaningful and purposeful with all this crap uh, all, all the all around us i don't really have a question here but i'm just kind of um it's it seems very difficult to to live in this day and age in a way that's valuable and purposeful when there's all these kind of elements that are around us trying to distract us um 
Yeah, for that reason, I believe meditation, any kind of mindfulness is more important now than ever. I believe coaching as a profession is more important now than ever. At the same time, to choose the right coaches and don't presume to have coaches for the rest of your life. Or more precisely, you can go through periods where you don't have a coach Mm. and there'll be times when you do have a coach. Mm. I'm personally, and this is really a subjective one, I don't do well having a coach constantly all the time because there could be a dependency that goes up on that comes at the expense of my leadership. Mm -hmm. I'm such an advocate of constant growth. And at any given time, there can be a coach who can accelerate that growth for you and strengthen your focus. Mm. And I believe strongly in having programs for that reason. I just joined a health club yesterday to up my game with nutrition and, and fitness. And I'm already uh, well above average in both those areas. But I can see how I get distracted at times. And I think, oh, wow, that Red Robin ad kind of does look good, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just notice how my mind is susceptible to that. So putting myself on that kind of track. So this is a six week program I just joined with them mm-hmm. will strengthen my mental grit and resolve. Mm-hmm. That's great. And so we talked a little bit about before we started talking about uh, about creative creativity in the traditional sense that most people view as creativity, for example, music and art and all these different things. And you said you were in a band. How does that sort of creativity help you to relieve stress from the more kind of business-like creativity that you uh, Oh, man, it is so huge for me. Uh, I love that you're asking me this because it's not something I get to talk about much. And like I said, it's huge. I started playing guitar when I was 14. And this was the year that right before Kurt Cobain committed suicide Mm. is when I started playing guitar. Mm. And... I was already a Nirvana fan. After he died, it kicked it up to a whole other level. So I learned every song from Nirvana. Then I graduated to Metallica, who's still my favorite band to this day. And when I got older, specifically when I started my business and then got married, I didn't play guitar at all to the point where I sold my guitars. Just didn't see why they're hanging out there and money may have been tight at the time as I was getting the business going. It just didn't make sense to have the guitars there. Then earlier this year, I divorced with, from my wife, uh, mutually, amicably. And I wanted to do something that was just purely for my own joy and self-expression. Mm-hmm. And when I considered what that could be, it was playing music. And just to do something, I think this is the key thing, whether it's music or something else, you have to do something that is not at all tied to your career whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That is just purely an expression of joy. Like a friend of mine who's a presentation coach, does similar work as me, he loves shooting guns. Mm-hmm. That's not my thing, <laughs> but he loves to, when he gets back from leading a training, just to go out with a few of his buddies and shoot guns that's what he does to relieve stress and it's got absolutely nothing to do with his career none of his buddies do work that's remotely related to him i personally like to make it social so having a band to play with is inherently social and it exercises a different part of my brain and self-expression i like the concert component as well the fact there is a public display so for me it makes me take it more seriously knowing it's going to be presented in front of people. So it's not just kind of like 
a lackadaisical type thing, like watching TV, only slightly more active. No, we're going to be doing a show and there's going to be a lot of people at the show and it's going to be recorded and it's going to be something I'll look back on years from now. So yeah, I want to sound good. I want to, I want to look good in the video, which is part of my health and nutrition (laughs) stepping up too. And when I have that to circle back to your question, it makes me more excited about the work that I do with public speaking training because I'm just not burnt out the way I used to be from it. So I can have time away from that where I can focus on this where I'll spend an hour in the morning working on the songs. And then I'm excited to dive in to emails and returning phone calls in ways I simply would not have been if I hadn't spent an hour on music. So yeah, it's something I highly recommend having a regular structure for me every Monday night's band practice having that to look forward to. So there is an accountability. It's happening. There's no question about that. And having the show leading up to it, so I take it more seriously. Uh-huh. Did, you ever, did you ever go through a point where you kind of like felt guilty about, about having this, this kind of thing that wasn't related to work? Did you ever get into this kind of mindset of like, got to work all the time in order to be successful? I probably had that when I was getting the business going and newly married and then uh, the guilt of that probably stopped me from touching the guitars and maybe I would start to pick it up and I would feel that and then put it back down. And then enough time passed, as I said, where I didn't touch it, that I just sold them. Now though, I have enough wisdom to recognize what works best for me. And I sense this works best for a lot of people is to just say yes to it. If you feel some inclination to play music or even watch TV, like I have a film background, so I enjoy watching movies. I'll do that. I won't deny or suppress that because I know if I'm just really unhappy and my vibration is low and I try to return phone calls from that place, from this place of, oh, it's some obligatory to-do list, those phone calls are not going to go very well. And People are saying yes to our vibration at any time. So if our vibration is high, even from just watching 20 minutes of a movie, it puts you in a better state than if you had done something else with those 20 minutes. It's a good investment and you'll show up better for your, your phone calls and for your business. Hmm. And this is kind of getting back to that original philosophical point that I wanted to talk about. And it comes from people in yogic traditions have been debating this for a long time, the sense of free will agency versus this uh, sense of uh, we don't actually have that much control over our actions. What do we actually have control over? Um, and a key component of this that led me to realize uh, kind of the importance of this is we've been talking about a lot about it is this kind of when you get in front of the audience and you're not a nine and the rest of everybody is down at a you know lower and then you have to bring them up and then also it's the, this communication once we're in relationship with other people or actually nature or anything like this it's really hard to separate here is the boundary i am and here is the boundary of everyone because we're all kind of influencing each other all, at all times mm-hmm. um it's a really kind of i don't know it's a uh, what what is your take on this balance of because there's things in your, you can't control in your life and then there's things that you can control what are some things that you can control Okay. Some things I can control would be my reaction to my thoughts. The thoughts that come in are involuntary. Just as much as blinking is, it's just going to happen whether you plan it or not. But then the decision to stay 
on that wavelength of thought. So I might have a negativity of negative thought of, man, I can't believe that so-and-so hasn't called me back yet. Mm-hmm. And then I could stay on that wavelength and think, what other bad qualities does that person have? Well, I don't think I really value them much as a friend, actually. Maybe better off not putting up with their crap anymore. Mm-hmm. And then that could easily snowball into who else's crap am I sick of putting up with? And who else should I really consider ejecting, just deporting from my life altogether? Mm-hmm. Instead, if I had the thought of, huh, why hasn't so-and-so called me back? I know a more empowering state would be to either let it go and say, it's one of those mysteries, let it go. Who cares really in the grand scheme? Is this going to matter in 20 years? No. <laughs> yeah. Or I could get curious about it. If it's someone I really care about, let's say it's my girlfriend, then I would get curious and I might check in and say, Hey, is everything all right? Just notice that you haven't called back. I'm not upset. I'm just wanting to be there for you. Mm-hmm. So that to me is a prime example of something that you can control. I do think it's important to, I'm remembering the serenity prayer that they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Accept the things we cannot change. Uh, so being able to identify what the things are that we cannot change. We cannot change the way people are wired. Uh, we cannot change how they're gonna react to things. I've no, I know I've wasted a lot of time and energy wishing people would react differently to things. Oftentimes when it's a way they're reacting to me and something that I said, <laughs> and I've had to recognize that their reaction is their reaction. It's perfect the way it is. If I get mad at them or make their reaction invalid or wrong, it's only going to get 10 times worse. <laughs> so to really trust that, okay, this is happening for a reason. They're reacting this way saying these things, that's their valid experience. I have to honor and validate that and trust in the higher context. This, it's meant to teach me something, help me grow. We're gonna become closer together as a result of this. Mm-hmm. There's some higher purpose that's to be realized. So we got a couple minutes left. What is one thing that you want people listening right now to walk away with uh, from this conversation? What's one valuable piece of advice or maybe a book that you've read recently or some just something that will help them uh, uh, find value in their lives or be more effective? One would be say yes to your fullest expression. Speak your truth. Something going to give you joy, then you damn well better do it. And trust that everything else will fall into place. You're not meant to be living life in this really heady, overwhelmed space. Anytime you're in that space, it's an opportunity to realign. Mm. Whatever additional mental justifications of, no, 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 you don't understand, I really am this busy. You don't understand, I'm really this screwed if this doesn't get done. All that is just inauthentic mental chatter. It's monkey mind stuff. And you can decide to stay in it or rise above it. My recommendation would be to rise above it do whatever it takes because otherwise you will be severely compromised in the kind of richness and enjoyment you can have in life and relationships, which to me is one of the great joys of being alive. You're not going to have very many quality relationships if you're in that kind of space. Mm. Um, I read so many books. I can't really write one. I'm reading one called no more Mr. Nice guy to know about men's tendency to, 
be nice to uh-huh. everyone. And it's worth pointing out that it's not saying to be a jerk. Uh-huh. It's saying to not to stop kissing ass, basically. And all the ways in which we subtly are doing it are seeking approval to unhook ourselves out of that and just be really empowered uh, as men. We're, we don't have very many good role models uh, for this. And as empowered men, it's oftentimes ego driven. So that's something that I'm reading right now. And um, how can people find you uh, for more information about what you do, find, find you online, talk with you and stuff like that? Yeah, the best thing to go to do would be to go to the effectivepresentations.com, effective with an E, effectivepresentations.com. You can learn a lot more about what we do if you're just starting out on your communication journey, because for me, it is very much a journey. It's a lifelong journey of becoming a better communicator. You can see the variety of offerings that are there. Uh, If you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can do so, John, J-O-N, at effectivepresentations.com and just mention Stuart in this podcast and I'd love to hear from you. Cool. Thank you so much, John, for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Hold on one second.